I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 6 this morning. This will be our last Sunday in the letters to the church in Corinth, and next Sunday we'll begin our summer series on the Lord's Prayer. But it seems fitting that our last Sunday in these lectionary texts, um, particularly in concluding with 2 Corinthians, uh, has one of my favorite verses. And when I was a high school grad, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, was one of my favorites that I took with me, which is this idea, this verse of, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so this morning, most of our time, we're going to uh, do the, the landscape setting, but then really focus in on that one verse. And this is kind of like the way a wedding sermon is done, where it's most specifically to the graduates, but everyone else gets to hear and let it refresh themselves as well. The same way when you go to a wedding, the minister stands right about here. We have a sound jack that keeps me centered. And they talk to the, the bride and groom, but it's for everyone to hear. And so this morning, we're going to hear God's word with maybe a special lens for our graduates, but good reminders and good teaching for all of us. Now, to do so, that means moving past some things that I would normally spend more time on. So I'm going to do a a preacher's cheating move and just give you a contextual oversimplification of what's at stake here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is the second letter that we have in the scriptures. Um, And at this point, Paul turns his focus and is addressing opponents, people who oppose him, people who deny his true apostleship. And Paul says, no, I am a true apostle. And so some of this is a defense of his own ministry and his own apostleship. Uh, Some of it is defending that he does not live according to the pattern of this world. He's not taking advantage of the church in Corinth, but he truly cares for them and brought to them the true gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's a bit of the context of our passage this morning. And as I said, we'll focus most on what does it mean to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Before we turn to God's word and read together, let's pray. Lord, we yield our minds to you. Jesus, we open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence into our souls. May you teach us so that we may better know you, more fully know ourselves, and be equipped to faithfully follow your calling for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people, who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In BBC's new version and rendition of Sherlock Holmes, simply called Sherlock, any graduates familiar with this series? Yes. Because this whole sermon is dependent either upon you having seen it or of making sense of what I'm about to say. In, in Sherlock, um, one of the things that Sherlock, as played by Benedict Cumberbatch and the quite elementary Dr. John Watson, played by Martin Freeman, uh, one of the things that they have a lot of conversations about is Sherlock's mind palace. Now, this new version of Sherlock is, is this modern-day setting of what if Sherlock Holmes lived today? And so they often reference his mind palace. All of these things in his ever-so-brilliant head, where does he keep all of this information Where does Sherlock hold all of the stuff that he knows? And more importantly, how does he recall it? How does he find the fact that he needs in the moment when he needs it? How does his brain work in such a way that when he goes to any crime scene, for Sherlock is the original great detective, how is it that he knows how to access relevant information right there in the scene? And so the concept that we're often introduced to in the show is the, the mind palace. And it's this brilliant and elaborate imagined house where Sherlock goes in his head and does all sorts of work. And it's where he walks into this room to find that information and goes down this hallway and talks to that person, the conversation that they had 20 years ago. Thus is the concept of the mind palace. Now, The mind palace idea is actually from the original books. In A a Study in Scarlet, the original Sherlock Holmes novel, he refers to it as a brain attic, the way that Sherlock has arranged the furniture in his mind so that he can sit in the right chair or arrange the room as he needs it to be. Still going back even further, to let you know this isn't just a fictional concept, but actually has some reality, a Greek poet, Simonides, who is a a lyrical author, called this the method of loci, by which he could imagine a place, and by imagining that place, he could recall different information. This is what Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in the Sherlock Holmes novels is referring to as the brain attic, and what BBC has now given us today as the mind palace. This brilliant way to recall all kinds of information and to know how to find it when it's relevant because I'm sure some of us at different times get into an argument and we think about the exact right thing to say like four hours later. And you can't go back then. The idea of this mind palace, having all of your information available in the right and orderly way, it takes discipline. It takes effort. And it takes a sharp knowledge of your own mind and memory. But the concept isn't limited just to information. Why should it be? If you think about your own mind palace, and 
maybe you're a little bit more humble than Sherlock Holmes, so you'll settle for like a mind house um, or, or a mind garage, if you will. But if, if you think of your mind as this great palace where you store all of your life experiences, then your mind palace is hosting all of your thoughts, all of the information you've learned, like state capitals and presidents and stuff like that. But it's also got all of your ideas, all of the things that you thought of to do. Your mind palace also would not just host cognitive functions like thoughts and ideas, but also all of your emotions live there too. Emotions and thoughts, ideas, concepts, things we've learned, and sometimes things that we've forgotten. All of this lives up somewhere in our mind. And before we become too critical to say, well, I want to hold on to my thoughts, but the emotions don't matter because thoughts are accurate and emotions aren't, keep in mind there's negative consequences to that as well. For instance, if you're in your house alone and you hear a loud thump, you'll have an emotion of fear, surprise. That's accurate, worth paying attention to. In that moment, we don't think, oh, these pesky emotions that are so inaccurate. No, they're trying to tell you something. And in the same way, our thoughts can be inaccurate and wrong. Look no further than Galileo thinking, I'm pretty sure that the earth revolves around the sun. And yet that was not a popular thought in his day. When I think about our minds as mind palaces and what I encourage you as graduates to consider also the palace of your mind, all of the things that are going to be there, new things that will be put there, when I think about that, it draws me back to that one simple phrase in verse 5. Take captive every thought. Take captive every thought, every bit of information that is in your elaborate mind palace that God has given you. Take captive those thoughts. And occasionally ask yourself in moments of reflection, what's in your mind palace anyway? And what's worth keeping there? As graduates, whether from high school or college, you're going to soon be headed to new places working in new jobs, living in new cities, meeting new people, people who are different, people who were not raised here or not raised in the same way that you were. Particularly if you're headed on to new studies, you'll be looking into fields in a deeper way than what you have before and being introduced to new ideas and new concepts. There will be new things, new guests in your mind palaces. Some of it will be fact. Some of it will be opinion. Some of it will be idea. And some of those guests will be experiences. Take captive every thought that is in your mind palace. Pay attention to what is in it. Mind what is in your mind. And as you do so, as you take captive every thought, as you, as especially you high school graduates, as you step into a newer realm of adulthood, consider carefully that you are now in charge of your own learning in a new way. You take on responsibility for yourself in new ways, both exciting and challenging, 
Cafeterias are great because I really missed meals after I graduated high school. But you'll have new ideas introduced. Some of them you won't like so much, and others you will. But I commend you, especially as North Holland graduates, as all of us, people who live by this vision of the place, intentionally sharing the love of Jesus through compassion-filled hospitality. May your mind palace, this beautiful place through which you process all of your information and experiences, may it be a palace of hospitality and not hostility. Hospitality and not hostility. When we host new ideas, things that are introduced to us, different ways of viewing the world, if we're willing to host them, we can learn from them. And that doesn't mean that we blindly accept them. If we accept things only with hostility, then we're just going to batten down the hatches. So ask yourself, will your mind palace be one of hospitality, where you can welcome new ideas, new learning, you can listen to new people and different ways of life? Or will your mind palace be one of hostility, where you're going to batten down the hatches as if that's the only thing that could be meant by take captive every thought? Maybe, maybe not. I hope that there will be hospitality, ways to welcome, ways to have good conversations. But also, hosting is not a matter of blindly accepting. For when you host people in your own house, much less the palace of your mind, we don't just blindly accept people in and let them have free run of the place. When you have guests in your house, you pay attention to them. When you have guests in your dorm room, pay attention to them and make sure they don't steal your fruit snacks. It's an issue in college, trust me. I've lost boxes of fruit snacks over time. I had a really organized roommate one year who, like, would set my groceries away for me, and so I thought I lost a whole bunch. Then I found out he had a designated fruit snack drawer. All this time I thought people were stealing my stuff. It was just so organized I couldn't find it. But that's the idea of a mind palace. Organize your thoughts. Make sure you know what ideas belong. What, what ideas belong in the living room of your mind for all to see that make you who you are? And what things maybe can be a guest for a short time, things that you have to learn, things that you have to be introduced to, but they don't get to stay. And you get to keep your eye on them, even as a gracious host. In the same way, hospitality allows us to welcome new things, but it doesn't mean that we're a doormat. We don't let people into our houses and let them start hitting the walls with sledgehammers. We just don't do that. We kick them out. But we do welcome, nonetheless, with wisdom and discernment. As you have new life experiences, new concepts that you're introduced to, welcome them, but be as gentle as doves and as shrewd as serpents, as Jesus said, in welcoming new things and having control over your mind palace. For hospitality will allow you to welcome new things. But hostility will only allow you to attack new things because they're unfamiliar and frightening. Hospitality in your palace will allow you to learn and understand. Whether you agree or disagree still remains your decision. But you can learn and grow and understand well. Hostility will only allow us to be fearful. Fearful. 
and to never truly learn. And the fear that prevents us from listening to others is the same fear that will prevent us from ever being heard by others. If your faith matters to you, to any of us, and we want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be heard by both word and deed, if we want to be heard, we also must be willing to listen. Hostility will not allow us to listen or to share. Hospitality will learn and understand and have opportunity for you and your ideas and your perspective on life to also be welcomed into someone else's mind palace. All of these ideas are simply guests, guests in your mind that you get to choose how they shape you, how they form you. Some get to stay and some have to go. John O'Donohue, a Celtic Christian, says, uh, using the same example in one way, John says, when you compare yourself to others, you are inviting envy into your consciousness, and it can be a destructive guest. Envy, hatred, malice, these are destructive guests to the way we live our lives. What about curiosity? What about love and kindness? As Jim mentioned, the apple that we all are meant to bear fruit, is there room in your mind palace? And in fact, is it the greeting center point where love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Are these the things that are most readily available to us to act day in, day out? And are they the things that people recognize as most a part of us? Some ideas get to stay, and some have to go. And that's all part of learning and growing. And may God be with us as we endeavor to do this good work. But to take captive every thought is a reminder that you have responsibility in this. Your learning is not passive, but it is active. Your study of Scripture is not passive, it is active. All of these things that we choose to shape and form us need our attention. They need attentiveness and effort and focus. For as the Apostle Paul writes, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Knowledge of God and obedience to Christ are the two primary reasons that Paul urges the church in Corinth for each and every one of them to be mindful of what ideas are there. Knowledge of God and obedience to Christ. What is it that we learn that expands our knowledge and understanding of who God is? Particularly for those of you who are studying the sciences, learning about God's creation in incredible ways, the ways in which we work, and being amazed at the knowledge of God who created us. Obedience to Christ. What habits do we pick up? What habits do others impose upon us, and what habits do we hold on to, even if we're rather lonely in doing so? Do the habits that make up our mind do they lead towards obedience in Christ? Or are they passive? 
and do they lead us astray? Knowledge of God and obedience to Christ is the reason that we do all of this work. When I think of knowledge of God, particularly with faith and science, I remember an extra credit assignment that two of you had, which involved a very long talk about faith and science, creation and evolution. And I know you got extra credit for it, but I hope it was also a fun conversation. What cannot be taken away from you, no matter what you learn, no matter what ideas you encounter, is the knowledge of God that you have. And the Apostle Paul encourages us in that, reminding us that the knowledge of God, no matter what pretensions and arguments are set up against that, that cannot be changed or taken away from you. Even as you study sciences and things that seem to be apparent hostile enemies to your faith, keep in mind that the reading of Genesis 1 and 2, first and foremost, is to give us knowledge of God and knowledge of who we are as God's creatures. And so you'll hear different perspectives, and you can welcome them with hospitality. But the knowledge of God that you have and who God created you to be cannot be taken away from you. And obedience to Christ. For we are most fully human when we live in obedience to Christ and how he called us to live, where our word and God's word align. There will be arguments and pretensions against that. And there will be old arguments that will hold us back. And make no mistake, the Pharisees were among the worst at this. The Pharisees were so hostile to anything new that they held everyone back because it was only what had always been was the only thing that could be held on to. Tradition is a valuable thing and has much to teach us. Tradition, though, can be either the dead faith of the living or the living faith of the dead. Tradition can be the dead faith of the living or the living faith of the dead. Even when we consider our own understanding of what tradition has taught us, you'll probably have some things that you'll pick up when you're away from home that will be a little bit against the traditions that you were brought up with, and it'll probably make your parents a little bit uncomfortable. But if they raised you and can trust you, even those things that you learn, you can still be in control of your mind. When I think about all of the people here who have raised you, they've taught you as best as they can. You also get to learn. And I pray that wherever you go, you will have those people who will speak into your lives. Old arguments can sometimes hold us Learning new things can move us forward as long as we're careful about it. Not so long ago, Caitlin and I went to a movie with some other folks from church. And we've done this a few different times. And every single time, we meet for pizza beforehand, and then we drive to the theater. When we left pizza, I was on my way to the theater. And Caitlin said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the movie theater. She said, why are you taking this way? I said, because this is the road that goes there. She said, you're going way out of your way. Well, no, I'm not. I was on my way to Holland 7. She said, the tickets that we have are to AMC. You're going kind of the wrong way and out of your way. Here's the reason. 
every single time before we had gone to Holland 7, it was where I was always used to going. So when we left pizza and we're going to the movie theater, I went to Holland 7. I was on my way there. Caitlin corrected me early on. Tradition had an effect on me. And I didn't even think to look at the tickets to know which theater I should actually go to. And so I'm really glad Caitlin was with me. Otherwise, I would have been really lonely and my ticket would have been worthless. Pay attention, though. Pay attention to the road that you're on. Maybe the familiar path is the right one. But maybe sometimes something new has to be learned. And different things have to be paid attention to to figure out which path God is calling you on. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 10, mocking how some call him bold while away and timid when present. Now, maybe that's how you're going to feel next summer when you're back for the first time, where you've been bold while away, but then when you come back, you feel a little bit timid. All of a sudden, you've had this newfound freedom, and it's hard to get used to living back under your parents' roof. That's why I worked at a summer camp most of my college summers, so that I could avoid that exchange. Not a bad way to go. Inspiration Hills is a good one, too, but, you know, Geneva and those are closer. Sometimes we're bold while away and timid when we return. But trust. Trust that you have taken captive every thought and made it obedient to Christ and tested it against your knowledge of God and grown in that knowledge of God in such a way that you are as bold when away as you are when present. And that the Apostle Paul argues later that he was not timid, but being gracious and almost investigative. That in the same way, we are not timid, for we have not been given a spirit of timidity or fear, but simply cautious, thoughtful, and learning. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Whether it be the things we learn, the people we meet, the conversations we have, thoughts will enter into our mind palace. We are encouraged to take them captive, to hold on to them with hospitality and not with hostility, but to be mindful of them. That's on us. But we don't do this work alone. Because our mind palace, we as people who believe that we are created by God, although you have some active agency in what you think and believe, you are not your own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 